quickly down. Visar trailing. We'll take it off to Love. Love drives into the lane. Lob it for Visar, who puts it in. Watch me off to Anderson. Back to Love. Love down right of the lane. Rolls it in. Counted, and he's fouled. Off to Boswell. Out to the top of the key. Fires a three, and that is good from Kylan Boswell. Caleb will throw it to a running Johnson, and Keyshot over the head, jammed with two hands. And Borovic in the rebound for the Wildcats. Head to Martinez. Bounce pass to Lewis. What a pass. What a dunk. Hello and welcome to Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I am your host, Ricky Garrett, here with... Ed Bardo and... Uh... Boy, I got to tell you, since our last uh, since the last time we cast it to you folks, quite a bit has changed in the Arizona Kingdom. That's uh, that's uh, for sure. Uh, the, the sports world and everything has been uh, talking about the changes that have happened in Arizona. But we've got a lot of talk, a lot to talk about, wouldn't you say, Ricky? Yeah, and you know who we have to blame for all of this, and it's not any of the Pac-12 officials. It's not the commissioner. It's Nick Saban, right? It's all his fault. He chose to re- <laughs> he chose to sit there do that. It, it it just changed everything, and so that opened up a position that caused it a, a tidal wave shift in the college football landscape. <laughs> so, going with what Ed was just alluding to there, uh, we thought back on the thirteenth of January that the loss to Washington State was kind of the worst of it. <laughs> Little did we know what was ahead for Arizona athletics, right? Oh my goodness! It's just the, the chaos at the – there's a lot of things going on at the University of Arizona, let's say, and the chaos and the change just, wow, it is really, really uh, changing things around and so forth. And then also within the basketball world that you're hearing us go into detail on, uh, you know, trying to dissect what happened to a team that started out 8-0 and and then suddenly started to have some – get into kind of a funk – well, all of that came to a came together here in this uh, last week, wouldn't you say, Ricky? It really did. It really reared its ugly face, and and we'll dig deeper into the the basketball because obviously this is biased in Arizona basketball podcast. But we're gonna go through some of the timeline here, and man, it's just been a crazy ten days for Arizona athletics. There's been highs, there's been lows, there's been really low, then there's been really high. So starting with the 13th of January, we just mentioned it, Arizona basketball loses to Washington State, and that was a rough game to watch. Uh, Ed and I did our podcast on that one already, and again, tough loss at Pullman. Then the team tries to fly out of Pullman, and they get stuck in Pullman. So Dave Hickey and all the, the teams, you know, the men's and women's teams are both in inclement weather in Pullman, and they're stuck. They can't get home, and it takes them a couple days to get home, actually. Fast forward to Sunday the 14th. So Sunday the 14th, we start hearing some some rumors swirling around that Jed Fish may be extremely interested in the Washington job. Turns out that Jed had already interviewed twice, once at, I believe it was 2 or 3 p.m. on Saturday, and then once at 6 or 7 p.m. for or a second interview at 6 or 7 p.m. Saturday night. So we were obviously just trying to catch up here and figure out what was going on. And that's the 14th of January, so that's Sunday. So Jed Fish signs his contract with the AD from Washington at his Tucson home with the Wildcats sign out front. How cheap is that, Ed? That's, that, is, that is just low. I mean, that, 
I'll speak, we'll speak more about that. That is just a, the feeling and the loyalty and all of these type of things that you associate that are more than just about money. There's a certain amount of, uh, you know, style and class that goes with how you take it. And we'll get more into that. For sure. For sure. So then Jedfish holds a, what has been told by players, a three minute meeting with the staff or with the players and, and the staff saying basically, all right, guys, I took the job at Washington. Um, you know, I'll see you later. Uh, Jason Shear from 247 Sports, he said that it was described to him as if the AD had the car running and said, hey, Jed, you know, hurry up. We got to go. And so Jed just ran in there and said, hey, I'm taking the job at Washington. Uh, best of luck to you guys. We'll see you later. And then walked out. So, again, real, real classy move by Jed Fish. Uh, on the 15th, that's Monday, you have a ton of football players entering the portal. So here comes the chaos, right? And that's expected with any kind of coach change is that players are going to leave and potentially follow that coach. Um, you know, Arizona's hope was that we could retain a lot of our players because Jed had preached about family and whatnot. And the hope was that, you know, Arizona wouldn't lose a bunch of players. But alas, players did enter the portal, and that was Monday the 15th. Also on the 15th. This, oh, go ahead. Yeah, that that was that was, that was was quite significant too. It was like... A, there was quite a few key players in there that we that we all came to know and stuff that included players like Jonah Coleman and Adam Muhammad and Desmond Williams and Audrick Harris. Quite a few players suddenly just got up to the transfer portal. And what happened ended up happening to those is still part of the story. Correct. Correct. So as you kind of alluded to, some of the remaining players split their allegiance to different hires. Again, that's all happening on the 15th. On the 16th, and this is kind of what was the first dagger, is nearly the entire coaching staff follows Jed Fish to Washington. So Arizona's sitting there without a head coach. The rumors start swirling, you know, maybe Brendan Carroll will take over the offensive coordinator for Arizona for Jed Fish. Maybe he'll take over as head coach. Maybe Arizona will somehow be able to lure Johnny Nansen back from Texas, who took the co-defensive coordinator job at Texas. There are just rumors now swirling because, okay, Jed Fish is gone. You know, who's going to be the next There's man up? There's a vacuum. Yep. Exactly. There's a vacuum. And so everybody starts theorizing, who's that going to be? What's that going to be? And who's also following Jed to Washington? All the questions are starting to come out. Right. So then on that same day that all the coaches decide that they're heading to Washington and they've made their announcements and you see all their pictures posted on X, Brent Brennan gets hired as Arizona's football coach. Uh, and this was not a, a crazy hire in my opinion, and we'll dig deeper into it. This was a safe hire. This was a hire that I believe Dave Hickey wanted to make three years ago because he really liked Brent Brennan and Brent Brennan is an Arizona guy worked 20 years ago as a graduate assistant for Dick Tomey. So he has huge ties to Arizona. His wife graduated from Arizona. His brother was a wide receiver for Arizona. So again, a safe hire. But ultimately, Dave Hickey was kind of overruled by Dr. Robbins. Dr. Robbins wanted Jed Fish. Now, it turns out that although we're upset with Jed Fish and whatnot, Jed did do a great job with the program while he was here. We can't deny that. Um, we are very upset with him, but we can't deny what he did. Um, no, so, the, yeah, that's one thing. He, he did put us... So in the midst of a lot of emotional reaction and stuff, we have to remember in the time that he had uh, and so forth, 
he put he changed the trajectory of Arizona football. A lot of people who are current fans of Arizona football don't even remember a 10-win season at Arizona. They haven't been a fan long enough to even know that we did that before. But a 10-win season at Arizona, it was a reality under Jed Fish. So that's something that he did accomplish. And I guess that, that, that I'll, I'll express more about this a little bit as we go on, but let's, let's move forward on the timeline here. Yeah, sure. Also on the 16th, the same day that Brent Brennan is announced as the new head coach, Noah Fafita and Tetoro McMillan hold a players-only meeting and the rumor was that that meeting went very well. The players all decided to try and stick together as a family if possible. You know, obviously some players had decide, decided to go in the portal. Um, but once you're in the portal, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're officially gone. It just means that you're going to hear from other teams and other schools and whatnot. Uh, you can certainly withdraw your name from the portal, which foreshadowing a bunch of Arizona players did once they found out T-Mac and Noah were staying. Uh, so they had a team meeting. It went really well. Uh, also on the 16th, Fafita and McMillan released an episode of their podcast where they talked about everything that was going on, and they talked about that family atmosphere, that culture that was built up, and that was kind of drilled into these guys and how they, they love that the team is kind of surrounding each other and, and holding on to that family value, which is great. But – Within their own podcast, they did not give any hints as to what they were going to do. So Arizona fans are obviously on pins and needles for what equates to about seven days, but it feels like an eternity, right? And then, uh, and le- yeah. and let's face it, folks. If you were if you were a part of this roller coaster ride, you were fearing the worst. You were seeing what happened, what effectively turned out to be. Arizona ending the season at a, on a bowl game. And I think one of the things that would be a, a effective to think about is exactly where this real timeline starts, which is Arizona winning, you know, the Valero Alamo bowl and they're standing up on the platform, getting a trophy and everything else. And to think how quickly this, this all shifted around. Yep. So then we move to the 17th of January and Brent Brennan holds his introductory press conference to glowing reviews uh, from the fans, from everybody. Uh, he, everyone was just eating his words up because at a time where we're all stressed out about what's going to happen with Arizona football, Brent Brennan brought a familiarity. He brought a sense of calmness. He brought a sense, sense of, of stability, stability, reassurance, you know, hope in a, in a dark time for Arizona, right? Which we he, all... He, that was a that was a make or break press conference to be sure. At that, that moment, everybody was fearing the worst. They could see a program imploding, and uh, it really needed a firm, calming hand and stuff. And it was really going to be how Brent portrayed himself. And what a great job he did! Yeah, I was going to say he nailed it, didn't he? Oh boy, did he ever! Yeah. So after that press conference, now players start announcing their commitment to Brennan. In Arizona, which is great to see. There was a, a video of after one of the meetings, I think it was Brent Brennan's first team meeting. Uh, Noah Fafita and Brent Brennan's wife were on the back of the golf cart, and uh, Noah and Brent Brennan's wife were talking to each other. And you could tell that she was already, you know, trying to get in there and talk to the guys and just tell them, hey, look, you know, we're here for you guys. And so you could see that they came to Arizona ready to work right away. Brent Brennan's first goal, first task 
at Arizona as head coach was player retainment. And boy, did he work hard. And and you have to give him credit for what he did. It was absolutely amazing. We'll get so think yeah, about that. But think about that. So he, in that narrow window, he has a short amount of time because now the transfer portal, everything in the in the field of sports has sped up. The tools that we've put in play now really speed and change things up. And now it's dynamic with the switching of coaches and players. He had a short window to make a call with players already entering the transfer portal, knowing that the uh, uh, former coaching staff was poaching like crazy. And think of the power of what he had to say. He had to convince them on a new culture, a new uh, direction, and everything else, all in this narrow window. I want you to think about what a difficult task that that is. Well, and if you look at somebody like Jed Fish, who spent most of his career in the NFL, you know, you're talking about a guy who's been around this kind of free agency style, this free agency life, and so he has kind of a sense of how players move around and whatnot, and how to talk to them, yeah, how to try and convince them to stay or whatnot. Brent Brennan. Yeah, because I think Jed Fish's, I was going to say, I think Jed Fish's loyalty for uh, college football came from his playing days in college, right? Yeah. And that is a joke. It is a joke. Because <laughs> how many years did he play college football? And that would be absolutely none. Oh, yeah. Big fat zero. <laughs> so props to <laughs> Brent Brennan because here's this San Jose State coach who did a wonderful job at San Jose State. But he's now thrown in this situation where he's got some really high level players that could easily get offers elsewhere. And I mean, that's just it. It's, it's about offers. Now it's about paying these guys to stay put. And, and yeah, I think they stayed put because of family and loyalty and trust and home and that kind of stuff and, and props to them and their families. You know, the, the families of these guys have gone through it with these players so props to all of them because this has been a, a roller coaster for everybody. But, you know, Brennan had to deal with this, and this is all, I think, new territory for him. And so the way he's been able to handle it has been admirable, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things is I want everybody to think about this is this as Brent really is start hitting all the right notes as he comes to Arizona you have to remember he left a program where he took his team to the a bowl game three out of the last four years and now you've got San Jose State fans who are sitting there wondering what the heck happened in this rapid vacuum void that uh, that caused this kind of domino effect in college football uh, coaching yeah it's still crazy to me and I, I just brought this up at the beginning of the podcast that Nick Saban retiring can affect San Jose State Right? It, it and and not and it did it happened all through a sequence of dominoes and stuff that did that. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's incredible how this all just chain reactioned and oh, man, <laughs> it's brutal for everybody. I know you know Washington fans are very upset. Washington fans think of Kalen DeBoer, like Arizona fans think of Jed Fish. Fortunately for Brent Brennan, everybody loves him at San Jose State still. They know that this was kind of his dream job. This is the job he wanted three years ago. He was going to take it, and he deserves it. And for him, it's a promotion. And so I don't think San Jose State fans are carrying any animosity towards Brent Brennan. And it's hard to imagine anybody carrying animosity towards him. Uh, I don't know. Jed, to some, for, to some extent, to, I listened to a lot of the pep talks that he gave the team and a lot of the culture he was trying to build. And to walk out the door and just say, I took another job, see you guys, just goes so counter to the type of message and culture he was trying to build that it seems all fake. 
Right. It's just, it's just the part that the part that does make you angry. Look, I, in business, I deal with this regularly as a leader in uh, uh, on uh, leader in business. I have to deal with the fact that sometimes the highest bidder wins me wins out when I'm trying to recruit the top talent, and I go through this recruiting thing. I've been doing it consistently now, uh, interviewing, talking to hundreds of candidates across the globe, and then having them come and go at a moment's notice with no sign of loyalty, and trying to figure out all this type of thing myself. And I got to say, at some point and stuff, though, you that you have to stick by your ethics and your morals of what is right regardless. And I, myself personally in business, have made decisions that weren't about money, but about what would make, what would bring, be better for family and what would be better for happiness overall. So just, just another view. Right. And thank you for bringing that up. That's awesome that you have this unique perspective of almost kind of what we're going through as Arizona football fans. Uh, with, you know, people taking jobs for more money and whatnot and, and bettering their family, but also, you know, some that stay loyal to the company and whatnot. Uh, it's, it is very, very unique times and, and very crazy what's going on right now, but uh, it is, yeah, go ahead. it is. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that, just when we thought we had the stability and dominance of, uh, Arizona basketball as an overriding thing. So first of all, the dominance of Arizona football was rising. We end with the, as I mentioned, the Alamo bowl victory, a, a pretty stunning, a powerful victory over Oklahoma. And then we have this overall sense that everything is right in the Arizona universe in the two major sports that we, uh, that we talk about here. And, uh, then suddenly Arizona gets in this funk in basketball, which we're going to really uh, continue that theme, talking about kind of what we saw on the USC and UCLA game. But then this sequence of events with football, and we're not done with the timeline yet, folks. No, we are not. So on the 17th as well, uh, Brent Brennan, Noah Fafita, Tetra McMillan, Jacob Manu, and Jonah Coleman all are seen at the basketball game. So this is Arizona, a our bias basketball podcast, Arizona basketball podcast. So we do have to talk about some basketball here. Brennan, Fafita, McMillan, Manu, and Coleman were all seen at the basketball game, USC basketball game, wearing the same shirt, kind of felt like this unity thing going on. And so great to see them all together. That started to give Arizona fans some hope. So now let's talk basketball. Arizona played USC and beat them 82 to 67. Great win for Arizona. It was a home game. Uh, Southern Cal is is quite the opponent. Now they were missing Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis, which two of their best players. Uh, we've had to deal with that before, right? We played Colorado without their two best players, and what happened? We beat them by 48, 47. Um, so, yeah, this was a, a, a good, solid win. It just felt a little weird, though, didn't it? It did. It did very much. First of all, um, if you, unless you've been kind of hiding somewhere under a rock in Mongolia, um, the Bronny James show came to Tucson. Okay, so much so that it distracted his father on uh, during a press conference. <laughs> right, you could <laughs> see LeBron run into the locker room. Videos. Yeah, he kept he kept yelling he kept yelling during the uh, the post game interview. Shoot it! Shoot it! Right, he was he was watching, <laughs> and uh, so. There was quite a bit, it became quite a bit of a show in Tucson with ESPN covering it, uh, and so forth. So, quite the uh, quite the amazing environment and so forth. But 
as much as we expected based on the performance of USC this year, and as much as we knew Arizona should and would win this game, it was just a weird feel about it, wasn't there? Yeah, it felt like like Arizona knew that USC was missing its two best players and that Arizona knew that it was going to win and that they didn't really have to try, which is odd because Colorado was missing their two best players, and yet Arizona kicked the doors off of them. And now, poured it out. Yeah, yeah. they it poured it on. Yep. And so we're thinking, okay, this should have the same feel to it as the Colorado game. But it didn't. You know, USC it did really not. hung around for a lot of the times. Bronny James, I thought, played really well. I, I was very he impressed. He did. And he, I mean, that, that that was, you and I were joking too. It's like, please don't let Bronny James, this high-profile player, have a record night against Arizona. We've seen too much of that going on. And having him go off like that would certainly make a lot of news. <laughs> exactly. And although he did not have his record night, I think he his high for points was 15. He did have, I think that was against Oregon State. He had 11 against yeah, Arizona, it but it, it felt like for a while there, he was starting to heat up and he was really taking it to Arizona. They had some they had some balanced scoring going on there, and for you know they moved the ball, they got got it around, and even the and you could tell they they were you know we know, we know Boogie Ellis, we've known that he was like a, the dominant player on uh, USC for quite some time, and I was kind of looking forward to seeing him play, but it's too, too bad he was out, and you know and Isaiah Collier, top NBA uh, NBA draft prospect, being out, so that, yeah, big impact, but. There's something about it. We Arizona took the lead, never relinquished it early on, got up by double digits. But just when you thought, okay, they're going to put this thing away in the first half, it doesn't happen that way. It stays fairly even at around 10 or something, and we finish off with a 15-point win, and it never got much more. It hung around there, right? Right. right. It felt like a game, like you said, that Arizona should have just dominated. And yes, I know we won by 15. I get it. But it it, it's like when players have really good games – it just didn't feel like they impacted the game very much. So you're like, oh, they had a quiet 16 points. Like, how does somebody have a quiet 16 points? You just didn't feel them during the game, you know? And that's what it felt like. It just felt like Arizona beat USC by a quiet 15 points. It just, I don't know. It, it had a weird feel to it. So it it did. And I, I the whole way through, I was looking to just like have find some reason to get super excited and say, oh, yeah, let's just kick their butt or something. In the past, against USC and stuff, we'd be doing that, particularly at USC. But oh, yeah. it, it didn't feel that way. And I, I, I was sitting separate from you, Ricky. We were watching this uh, separately. And still, both of us were just like, this just doesn't feel. It's, it's, it had a different feel. I don't know if others, if you want to comment outside on this, on how you felt watching it. But it was good to see. Uh, I, like I said, it's good to see that we did win. We stayed on top, stayed on top held the lead. And had good, you know, several players. And one of the ones that was nice for me is that uh, Pella Larson did shot five from eight from the field and got 13 points. And as you've followed the thread, Ricky and I have been covering about which players really needed to start getting it back together. And home sweep home was the place to do it. Pella and Kylan Boswell and uh, Umar Balo are the three that were really focusing a lot of attention on. Yeah. And that to me is another game for Umar where, you know, he had eight points. 13 rebounds, you think, okay, not a bad game. But it just felt like another one of those games where Umar was getting pushed around, where, you know, Rodman was down there doing whatever he wanted to do. You know, these these USC bigs just took it to to Balo. And I, I don't know. I'm I'm 
this is a little foreshadowing because of he, what happened in the UCLA game, but I just feel like he's regressed so much and he's, I don't know if he's lost confidence. He's getting rebounds fine, but he's not as dominant as he was. He's not posting guys yeah, up. He's, he's not making those little bunny hooks that he used to make or I don't know. That's right. He, he was uh, often the leading scorer of the game. So to kind of put it in perspective, I mean, in this game, think about it. He was two from six from uh, for, uh, two for six in field goals. The, the, okay, so two from six. I'm not picking on the fact that that's only like 33%. What I'm th- saying here is this is your guy. This is your center. This is the guy you should be feeding the ball through. He attempted six field goals. Are you kidding me? And then, of course, one of the things that's really come to the forefront is that if this guy, if this is your the guy who's supposed to be who you're put, moving the ball through, and the guy who's going to score down low in the paint for you, for a ten free throw shooting, his free throw shooting has really become a point to where hackaball has become a thing. Yep. There's just you, the best choice, Fallum. Right. So he he gets eight points. That's just I don't know for your for starting center and stuff like that. It just seems like. That's just not going to get it done. And then to get pick up four personal fouls trying to defend somebody like Rodman or something like that. It's just, I don't know. It, it just seemed like that's not the type of performance you want to put on your resume. There's, It just feels like there's not many bigs in the Pac-12 that Umar Balo can't take one-on-one. He should be able to take all of these guys one-on-one. You know, they should it, be double-teaming like him. He, I'm going to say something controversial, but it's almost like he was broken by uh, Zach Eady. Yeah, it's a funny. It's a funny thing. It's like because it, it he was just so dominated in that in that game and in, in every which way you can be that it almost feels like after that he was broken and that his confidence was shattered. Yeah, almost thinking like, well, I should be doing that. Why can't I do that? And then he starts trying to do things maybe he's not used to doing and missing shots. I mean, you mentioned he went what two of six from the field. How many of those shots were point blank? I would say almost all of them. You know, look. Kylan didn't have his breakout game, but for he he did double the number of field goal attempts. I mean, he he also did, it works out that he did exactly the same percentage, but he did double the number of attempts. He's trying, and you and I talked about this on the last last talk about how do you get someone out of a funk? Well, you get the ball to him and you and let, let him find out that yes, it still goes in the hoop. Yeah, shooters got to shoot, and that's how they get out of their funk. And and I think that's why Tommy deserves some credit for letting these guys shoot. Because, yeah, it, it may drive us crazy when they just keep jacking three after three after three. Uh, and the hope is that these guards will start attacking more and get into the paint and help the big score or obviously help themselves score inside the three-point line instead of just jacking up threes. But these guys got to shoot their way out of the funk. They got to they gotta see some shots go through the hoop. That's important to these guys as shooting guards. And point guards, absolutely. And we, last month in uh, in 2023, one of the, our common statements was, "Look, it's December. Look, it's November. You know, we're saying it's still early on and stuff. But now we're moving into January, and we're starting to move into uh, later January. It, the time is starting to move, and you, it's time to st- you, you have to show improvement at this time. This is the time where we have to show we're starting to come together. We're figuring out. We're figuring out the lineups. We're figuring out the switchouts. Who's going to be where." And th- this is what you're getting ready to, to as you get deeper into conference play, moving towards a conference championship before you go into March. Right. Um, we're, st- we're still watching to see, waiting for that to happen, wouldn't you say? Yes. I would say so, yes, for sure. For sure. And Arizona had some balanced scoring for this USC game. You know, there's 10 points for Bradley, 20 for Love, 13 for Pella, thir- or 11 for Kylan, 
10 for Keyshawn Johnson, who has always been our X factor, but it seems like he's kind of getting lost in the shuffle as well. It feels like he's not doing as much, not making as big an impact as he was. Not that I'm yeah, I agree. complaining too much, but he's he's one of our dogs. He's one of those guys that we we rely on and that we need him to be tough. We need him to be strong inside. We need him to get the the post game going. And it feels like he's kind of disappearing a little bit as well. Yeah, it almost feels like this funk is contagious, doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's crazy. I mean, in the end and stuff, Arizona did well. Like one of the things that we really seem to struggle with when we're away from home is three-point shooting. And Arizona did shoot 10 of 26, which isn't, which isn't bad. It's about 30, 38%, 39%, something like that. Um, they did okay in that. Field goal percentage at 40, not, not, not bad. Uh, you know, not the offensive machine we were expecting, particularly against a, some a handicapped USC team, but certainly effective. And then, of course, we out-rebounded by nine, did a quite, you know, did just dominance on the offensive boards. So, you know, it's decent. It's, it's, it's okay. It's a good, it was a good game. Arizona was expected to win. We won. I think uh, that's all we could really ask at this point. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy with the win and I know that's Tommy's main goal. If, if Arizona doesn't play well, he'll say, Hey, look guys, we, we got the result we wanted right now. That's frustrating to hear sometimes because it's like, okay, guys, we can't keep getting in these patterns and we got to figure out some things. I'd rather us play well and win instead of, Oh, we just played okay and still beat USC. USC was down two players. You know what happens when we go to LA? And USC has those players back. And now we're playing on their home court or UCLA's home court, right? They're going to be gunning for us, especially because this is the last year in the Pac-12. So, Absolutely. And one of the things that's really nice, though, I have to say about, uh, you know, when we're playing this, t- when we're playing this game, uh, when we play USC, even as, if it gets contentious or we have a close game or we, we uh, beat on each other, the, it, it walk, walks away pretty clean. Both coaches are happy. Press conference is pretty clean. Everything's okay. As opposed to, say, what was happening uh, with ASU and UCLA that night and, uh, and say, ASU's coach have just fuming like a volcano on his press conference. But right. Pretty calm. And, and we but like Bobby Hurley. Extent, we like Bobby Hurley. We but, do. But, yeah. You know, I kind of think he's justified, especially after what Mick pulls during he, his press conference after the Arizona he was, game. Because that was it. So what I was doing is foreshadowing what was to come. Yep. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get there for sure. Because, yeah, good old Mick, Mick Cronin. Wow. So Arizona blows out USC by 15, 82 to 67. So that was a great win for Arizona. Fast forward a couple days later. So that was on the 17th. The 19th. Jonah Coleman posts to his Instagram that he's in Seattle, Washington. He's in the locker room hanging out with the guys there, which there aren't many. <laughs> By the guys, I think I mean the coaches. Um, but yeah, he, he posts a, a video that he's in Seattle. So, you know, we start to see the writing on the wall there that maybe Jonah will stay with Coach Fish and uh, commit to Washington. So then after that, the 20th, there's a, a bigger flurry of players that announce their commitment to Arizona, which is great to see and gives Arizona fans some relief. Of course, we're still waiting on the big ones, which are T-Mac and Noah Fafita. So then we fast forward to the 20th evening where Arizona plays UCLA. 
Again, rich traditions between both these programs. This is one of the best college basketball rivalries. Uh, it's it's sad that it's going away. I keep hearing rumors that both these coaches want to schedule this game. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I Mick, Mick doesn't seem interested in anything. They, yeah, I heard that they uh, they're trying to keep this rivalry alive, but boy, that's a tough that's tough. But given the size and the complexity of scheduling in the Big Twelve, and then picking your non-com teams. Well, I just I yeah, don't think. I mean, unless it's a neutral site, I don't think Mick Cronin wants to come back to Arizona ever. You know, he really doesn't like Arizona. He he clearly yeah, he doesn't have he a great probably record. Won't volunteer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's not going to be, you know, like John Shire at Duke and you know, open up and say, "Yeah, let's do that. That would be a great game." I don't think he cares about that. I think he, once he's done with Arizona, he's done with Arizona. That's the feeling I get. So, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it's just we've got a long history of I, I don't know. I, I've been thinking about it and trying to remember some of the root cause, but I don't know what it is. It's not so much the players; it's the coach. Mick, we've just had a lot of, lot of tension and so forth. And the incident with his dad Ed, when he was when they were at Arizona. I mean, some of the players did, of course, help incite things with the famous spitting incident that we won't go give mm-hmm. any credence to by mentioning names. Yes, but uh, still, um, there. It's fair to say between the fans too. If you got, if you're not used to it, go up on X slash Twitter and read how UCLA fans cover Arizona basketball and stuff. You'll know all you need to know about the classiness of the fans and the type of feelings there are between the two schools compared to the other teams that we play. Well, and this goes so, back, you know, with Sean Miller in Vegas. You know, he touched the ball. That was against UCLA. Um, you know, even Lute Olson and Steve Lavin had their battles against each other. You know, Arizona and UCLA is a very, very healthy rivalry. <laughs> it's still, you know, in full effect, very alive today. And, uh, and yeah, like you yeah. said, UCLA fans, they, they do not care for Arizona fans whatsoever. And as of recently, Arizona fans have had the benefit of being able to gloat a little bit because Mick Cronin is two and five against Tommy. So he's only won the two games that he's played at home. Uh, otherwise, Arizona's beaten UCLA at McHale Center and in Las Vegas both years, oh, the last and, two years, yeah. And barring that he uh, a miracle that he wins out for the rest of the season or wins the uh, Pac-12 tournament, it's very unlikely he's going to go into the tournament. And for UCLA to uh, for UCLA fans going from a team that made it to the Final Four not too long ago under Mick Cronin and now drops out completely of the NCA tournament. I just don't know how they're going to take that because I have to tell you, I've been reading a lot of press uh, in Los Angeles press and they are brutal on Mick. <laughs> Good. Brutal. Good. Cause I you're, feel like he gets you away read the with LA a lot. times. Oh, you read the LA times and they literally lambasted the guy yeah. and ta- told him to basically get his act together. And they, they ripped on him for blaming his players and not ta- owning up and being ta- and being a coach. Yeah, when you call your players stupid, you know I'm better than you are. Yeah. If if we're not winning, it's your fault, not mine. I'm just I'm the coach. You know I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You guys aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Hmm. <laughs> you know he he doesn't. Yeah, just where does the buck stop? Remember. Ed? Where that's right. If he 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 d- certainly does. He's he's passing that buck. The buck isn't stopping there. That's for sure. And for those of you, you can play buck stops here bingo with Ricky and Ed's show. Let's say that. And if you want to run a bingo card, buck stops here is one of them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Arizona played a game against UCLA, and well, I, this was one of the craziest days I think Arizona fans have experienced probably since 2015 when Arizona came back in the um, Gildan uh, New Mexico Bowl against Nevada. And they they beat Nevada by coming back down a touchdown late, and and won that game. And then they flew the Brian Jeffries and and crew flew home and made it back to call the Arizona basketball game, which was against Florida, in which Arizona was down six points with a minute left, and came back and beat Florida on their home court. That was one of the craziest days because it had two amazing comebacks for Arizona sports. You know, football came back and won the bowl game. And then basketball came back and beat Florida at home. And Florida was ranked six at the time. So th- those are and just amazing games to watch. Th- that was that was amazing. And that sets a perfect context for what we were about to witness there. So at this point, um, s- some folks have called uh, Arizona basketball stuck in a roller coaster, coaster pattern where we're going to hit a high, then we get a low. So if we win a good game, we're probably bound to lose one. And of course, with the rivalry at UCLA and everything else, and also the inconsistency we've seen from the team, and also that somewhat hmm feeling we had against the USC team, we thought maybe Arizona might come out with smoking guns in this one. Is that what happened? No. <laughs> so <laughs> UCLA, not a very good three-point shooting team. They're they're awful, absolutely awful. They're, they're ranked a, they were ranked something like a hundred and it was a hundred and something that yeah. uh, in terms of free three, three point shooting percentage below 30 percent right so what do they decide to do against arizona they decide to continue that trend and just miss everything right nope that's exactly what they did my <laughs> goodness they what happens that as, as we used to joke this even in previous years why is it that the worst shooting teams suddenly have record three-point shooting nights and uh, just everybody's uh, still shell-shocked from the Stanford game, right? I tell you what. I mean, the pattern that I'm seeing is defense. So Arizona, just to give context, Arizona got down 32-13. to 13. They were down 19 points in that first half, and that was midway through. They had 19 points, or 13 points, excuse me. They were down 19. They had 13 points midway through the first half. That is very un-Arizona-like, especially at home. Uh, UCLA could not miss from three. Arizona, for some reason, and UCLA fans were even saying this, you know, why is Arizona doubling down on the bigs when they should just stick to the three-point shooters? Let Bala do his thing, you know? I, I don't get why we continue to do that. If, if Bona's going to score points on Balo, and I thought, to be honest, Balo played pretty good defense against Bona. If Bona's going to make shots, especially from further out, then tip your cap and say, you know, great job. Don't sink. He did it. In, in addition, Bona, he, everybody who scouted Bona knows he gets in foul trouble, right? 100%. And he's, he, Balo stood his ground. He, he's fouled out of four games so far this year. And so that's why I kind of don't get the UCLA argument that, oh, they, we have so many more fouls called against us. Well, it's not just this game. Bona's already fouled out of it's, four games. It, and, and it's not just Bona either, because if you look at some of the stats and see what they do, the, the type of play they, it's almost as if they were told to just uh, 
play hyper aggressive to the point where they foul a lot. I, I watched quite a few of their games and, and noticed this and said, I think that the, that this is a, a coached strategy. Right, right. So yeah, there there definitely is a pattern there. But let Balo go one on one with Bona and tell the guards you're going to stay to your man or you're going to switch, but you guys are going to lock them down on the three point line. And Arizona starts the game off sagging down. And then, of course, UCLA passes the ball decently well to where Arizona gets caught, you know, trapped with two guys on one side of the court. And now there's a wide open UCLA shooter. And of course, I mean, these guys are college kids. They're, yes, they're a bad three point shooting team, but most times those are probably shots taken with a hand in their face. You know, any good college basketball player can make a wide open three. And that's what UCLA was doing. And I hate to say wide open, like, you know, oh, they they fought hard to get open for the screen and, and they got no Arizona was walking no. on defense. They weren't fighting through screens. And UCLA had all the time in the world to shoot. Yeah, one of the commentators on the game even made the statement, which I just I started laughing when he said it because it was so much what I was seeing. He said this is like the, they're taking three-point sh- shots like they do in practice because there's nobody around them. And I said, <laughs> that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, And so it yeah. was hard to watch. Yes. So Arizona's down 32 to 13. They need a pick-me-up, right, Ed? <laughs> they needed a pick-me-up in a, in a holy cow. Did they get one? <laughs> you're let's say you you know you're down at the you're down that badly think about how many points you've got in that uh in that first if you've watched arizona play remember at one point we were the number one scoring offense in the nation averaging something like 96 points a game right and then you you're watching this game and you're looking at that you're realizing at that point in the game you've only got 13 points what? right so I think you and I were talking with your brother saying at one point he was saying whoever gets to 65 wins and you and I said, does anybody get to there? Yeah, <laughs> it was I mean, that low scoring. Although UCLA was was playing okay, I still didn't think they were going to get to 65. I mean, they barely did. They got to 71. So they, they yeah, didn't the look impressive. Like neither. Yeah, that's right. It looked like at the time, uh, and we'll talk more about it, but the one player that did was Sebastian Mack, of course. Oh, yeah. he He's legit. And that's the one guy you really didn't want to go have go off on you. Uh, you know, and I thought we did okay on him. Just great, great athlete and and props to him. He he played really, really well. But with Arizona being down 30 19 points, I mean 32 to 13, they needed to pick me up. And so Mikhail is sitting there going, Oh man, we look terrible. You know, our football coach left. We're all kind of in the dumps right now. You know, what are we going to do? Well, they didn't have to do anything. They got to watch the big screen. And what happens on the big screen? Well, we're going to play a little clip here. You're not going to be able to see the video because this is audio only. But we'll we'll give you a little clip here. And you've already seen it, but we're going to add it to the show. So here we go. Loyalty. Legacy. And the Wildcats have it for a touchdown. Family. Home. Tucson, we got unfinished business. We running it back. Bear down. And the throw downfield, and it is caught! McMillan! And this place has gone absolutely off. The show goes on!
So this was one of the coolest moments I think I've ever seen, at least in the last 10, 20 years, especially at a basketball game, is to have that video play. Arizona fans are already anxious about whether or not T-Mac and Noah are going to stay. They put this video out, and it is one of the greatest videos. It is, I mean, I got chills watching it. I can imagine watching it at McHale Center. And then as the, the video is ending, you have the entire football team walking out on the court during the first media timeout. Ed, how cool of a scene was that? Just mind-blowing. To I mean, it, I got chills just listening to that again. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. Just, so this the the reason we decided to tell this as a story today as a story. Uh, you know, I get it. We're mixing sports and everything, but this timeline was essential in telling the story because all of it is intertwined. It's it's the Arizona sports and Arizona athletics it's all tied into this whole spirit behind football, basketball, everything. Being a wildcat, and that's why having it happen at during a. a, a key rivalry game particularly when arizona was down and just to just to be clear by by the time uh halftime came up arizona clawed its way out of that 19 point deficit and got it down to nine uh by halftime as a week well but we're not quite there yet well so. and props to noah and t-mac because after that video played and arizona was down like i said 30, arizona 32 to 13 arizona went on a 15 to 5 run which was great you know they ended it close and, and like you said uh, got it to within nine at the end of the first half, which is great. And then, but it didn't. But but go ahead. But as it works out, most Arizona fans know, and sometimes we're very very guilty of this, even against uh, 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 you know smaller teams. We're very guilty of playing very sluggish in the first half. But then the run of death comes in the second half, and it's uh, it's over. Right. That was not the way it was going to. A little foreshadowing, not the way it was going to go here. Yeah, so the halftime score is 37 to 28. So at least Arizona got to 28 by halftime. Good for them. <laughs> 28 <laughs> points for a half. Let's, I know. Let's just is... repeat that because of how odd that sounds. Yeah. I, Arizona so sometimes does, scores that in the first five minutes. Does anybody in, in did in anybody's notebook in college basketball, did you have UCLA on your list of premier defensive teams in NCAA oh. basketball? Because holding her, the what was at one point the number one offensive scoring team to twenty eight points and a half sure paints you that way. Well, yeah, and like you said, UCLA was eight and ten at the point, so they were their record was eight and ten, and they had lost some really bad games. So the fact that they were the ones taking it to Arizona when Arizona was once ranked number uh, one Utah. in the country, yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, you yeah, know, that was what a forty two point win. Yeah, it was just pretty. They, they, I don't think I don't think anybody's in when they teach school in Los Angeles. They say there's only 49 states after that game. <laughs> wow, this is true. This is true. So yeah, it wasn't so good for them. No, yeah. So UCLA is not this juggernaut. Obviously, we've already stated that they have a a real chance of not making the NCAA tournament, which would be shocking. You know, the Big Ten may rescind their offer and say, "No, you're going to be in the Pac-3." <laughs> because I don't know that their football team offers a whole lot either. So they're not offering a whole lot football wise. They're not offering anything basketball wise. Um, yeah, you know, think, they offer the LA market. John, John Wooden sent a text message from heaven saying, I think you out, you've uh, pretty much undone everything I managed to accomplish in Westwood in my entire tenure. Yep. Yeah. I think he wants Mick Cronin's <laughs> suit back. 
<laughs> yeah, that's it's just okay. crazy. We've had a little bit of fun with okay. that. <laughs> so coming out of the half, we expect Arizona to have a better second half. Usually that's their MO is to struggle a little bit, get you know, slow starts in the beginning, you know, try and figure it out. Uh, and then in the second half, we get that run of death. We get the the excitement. We get everything that comes with it. And what does Arizona do? They open the second half going 0 for 6 from the field. And UCLA continues to hit some threes. And so they immediately push that lead from 9 points back up to 15. And that's when you start thinking, okay, this this may not go our way. This may be you know something we're going to have to deal with today when we just got this really great news from T-Mac and Noah. You know, we're on this high now. Go ahead. So think of the timeline here, okay? So you know how it is. We're now down to the final 20 minutes. At 15.58 in the second, we were, the score was 45 to 45, uh, uh, well, I don't know. We were down still 45 to 28. 45 to 28. Yep. 15.58 left. Yeah. So, yeah, down 17, 15.58 left. And you're thinking, really? To UCLA, <laughs> is this really going to happen? This well, it, in, in other years, to UCLA wouldn't sound like a slam, but in this particular year, to UCLA is like eyebrow raising, right? And so Arizona does what finally they do what they do best, and that is start chipping away at this lead, start getting some momentum. And there are a couple couple things that I think led to, or that I would call keys to the game or or keys to why they were successful in winning this game one of them would be when kenneth nuba missed that dunk because arizona was starting to chip away kenneth nuba misses a wide open dunk he gets a, a kind of a deflection pass and nobody is around him and he goes up and he tries to slam it down really hard he misses the wide open dunk the ball bounces towards caleb love and Caleb Love takes it and goes down and does a three-point play. I think that a was five-point swing. Yeah, five-point swing. Five-point swing. That just was like that. absolutely huge. Then, and then go ahead. Go you, for you it. know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And uh, it's just certain things that can happen in a game that can turn it around. So I'll let you continue with the story. And so then we get this time, not necessarily a player. <laughs> <laughs> this time we get our our homeboy, Mick Cronin, who gets very upset because. Arizona's the one making the comeback. And usually the team that's making the comeback is the one that's going to be scrapping and, and fouling and getting handsy and whatnot. But Mick Cronin's team is the one that's getting fouls called on them. And so he ends up getting a technical. Arizona's down four at this point. Pella Larson gets fouled and is going to the free throw line for two. And before that happens, Mick Cronin gets called for a technical uh, for saying some choice words to the refs and you know, if I was UCLA, how do you not discipline him? Because that's clear as day what he's saying. Nobody had any thoughts or questions about what he was saying. We all knew. Um, yeah. And and that's just typical and, Mick. I, I I think he probably could have been thrown out. I, I think the way he was running his mouth, I felt like the refs easily could have thrown him out. And props to the refs for walking away. Because I think eventually they just walked away and said, no, we're not going to hear it. But I think Mick yeah, that could- was a that was worth an ejection, and uh, what he did effectively is uh, showed he's trying to teach his players as young men. These are and he has a particular young team what it is to show discipline. Okay, is trying to teach them discipline, not to just let their emotion run free. How to be disciplined, how to deal with adversity and stuff, because part of being a coach is teaching young men to be to be you know 
to better themselves, to be uh, contributing members of society, to teach them leadership, to teach them all the things that a sportsmanship can teach. And part of that is what you do as a coach. And at that moment, to sh- to as a, what are you doing in a key str- moment where at any moment you've already s- see that the momentum has changed, the tide has turned, it's now a tight game. What do you do? Yep. Yeah. And, and there's no doubt about it that Pella Larson is our best free throw shooter. So you're just giving our best free throw shooter two more free throws. Well, I, I'd put and, Caleb and Love the, in and, there too. Caleb Love is really good too. Yeah. Caleb, he, Caleb will, in, under the most intense pressure with all the lights shining, I mean, he, he'll make his shots. And but and I'm glad you're mentioning Pella Larson. We'll give him props as you finish this timeline because what a – we needed him. We, Pell Larson's one of those guys we talked about, uh, that list that I described earlier of those who needed to have a good game. Well, he certainly did. Yeah, and so that, that four-point swing ties the game up. And then Arizona gets down by two again, UCLA scores, and then they get a, a three-point play again and go up one. And so finally, you know, when you're an Arizona fan and Arizona gets down, Rarely does Arizona make the full comeback. Usually they make a comeback, even with Purdue. You saw it. Arizona made a huge comeback against Purdue and got it to within four. But getting over the hump. But yeah, they can never, ever get over the hump. They they get to within four. They get to within two and then give it all right back and then end up losing by nine or ten. Finally, Arizona has a game where they get over the hump and take the lead in McHale Center. The crowd's starting to get rocking now. And eventually pull it out, and they they win seventy seven to seventy one. I mean, it that alone was a roller coaster of a game, and with the emotion of the football team coming out on the court, Arizona being down nineteen, you know, chipping away at that lead, Mick Cronin getting a technical foul. I mean, it was classic Arizona UCLA. It wasn't necessarily a, a well played game, but just the intensity and the environment and whatnot was it lived up to the hype. It did. It did indeed. And so Tommy was uh, in the past has been critical of a lot of fans that where he said this, it didn't feel like a sold out uh, Bikel Center. And he is saying, hey, we need to fill this place up and we need to get excited. And he expressed a lot of uh, he was very complimentary to the fans for not only selling out the game, filling it up, but sticking around even when it looked like the game was out of hand. Yep. And he said it was the fans that gave him the energy to overcome the get it over that hump. Right. And so that, that that's what it means to be an Arizona fan is sticking with sticking with your team. Does it drive you a little crazy? It does me. Does it drive you a little crazy when we're down 19 points to UCLA and the coaches, sometimes Tommy Lloyd, start waving their hands to get the fans standing? And like, I get it. I get that the fans help. He already said this in his press conference. The fans are the ones that help us win these games. But it, at some point, you're just like, I mean, come on, man. You guys got to change something because I'm I'm not going to stand up just so you guys give up another three-pointer to UCLA, right? If you know, you're going to let them take practice shots from the perimeter, I'm not standing up. There's a give and take, right? You know, we're willing to give. We're willing to stand up. But you got to make sure you're doing your part and you got to make sure you're, you know, not letting these guys shoot wide open jump shots and play some defense. Um, to- okay, and I... I have to say, yeah, and I totally agree with that, and that's one of the things. I'm very glad that you mentioned that. And I have to say, there's a lot. The, this game had a lot behind it, and one of the things Arizona did, of course, and the thing we should be proud of, showed the resilience and fight that even getting down 17 with 15:58, as we talked about, 
was able to come back at home and do something about that and win. That is a that is the championship spirit. But you still can't ignore the fact that you got in yourself you in that in situation. Light, that's right. You were down 17 points from a 8 and 10 team at 15-58 in the second half. You still have to ask what happened. Right. And and th- those have to be fixed. Like th- those things it to me it all starts with the defense. I think the reason why Arizona is struggling, why Kylan Ball as well is struggling, why Umar Ballo is struggling. The reason these guys are struggling on offense is because of the defense. You know, Arizona is used to getting on fast breaks. This team is built on speed, on pushing the ball forward and getting to the rack as quickly as possible. And when you give shots like you did to Washington State, to Stanford, to UCLA, you give these three pointers and they're wide open. These guys are going to make them. You know, how are you going to run a fast break off of a made shot? It's really hard to do. Arizona has done it, but we can't do that consistently throughout the course of a game. So Arizona needs to figure out the defense. They figure out the defense. We already know what the offense can do. And and I'm saying this, Arizona still has the number three Ken Palm defense efficiency. So really not much has changed there. It just it doesn't feel like Arizona is playing that well. I, I don't know why Ken Palm has them so high still. But Arizona is struggling on defense, and if they can figure that out, that's going to lead you to your fast break opportunities. That's going to lead you to, you know, those dunks and those easy layups and those things that get the crowd really involved. And that's when Arizona thrives is when the crowd is rocking. Everybody's excited. Every, you know, guys are making and shots. Caleb's doing a fancy dunk. Yeah. And, and that's the type of thing. And again, these are young kids and that's what builds emotion. And, and it's not, it's, it, it, here's a, th- this isn't Ken Palm, but this is a statistic that kind of tells you, uh, something about how the defense has changed. So um, in the first eight games, the opponents shot 48.4% inside the arc. Eight of the last 10 opponents shot 51%. So there was a change that happened to where suddenly they started getting more fish, getting better at shooting inside. Now, the thing is, Arizona chose one of the hardest uh, non-conference schedules and what was considered to be the softest part of the Arizona schedule was conference play. Interesting enough, because the PAC 12 is certainly not the power conference in, uh, as it's named, it's not, it doesn't feel like a power conference in college basketball. Yet some of the things, the problems that we had suddenly became accentuated even more. So not from the loss at Purdue, though it showed a little there, not so much from the, uh, loss at, uh, FAU, but it started to happen in conference play where, I mean, getting beat 100 to 82 by Stanford, an uh, unranked team, that it, then they started to become blatant. And yeah. this is something that, uh, you know, we, we were, there was a statement, I was listening to several uh, media outlets describing saying the most defining and easy to pick champion of any power conference is uh, the Pac-12 because Arizona will go have trouble convincing themselves they even need to play because they're going to win so easily. Do you feel it's that way now? Yeah. So Tommy Lloyd admitted this, um, as far as the defense is going, because yeah, you're, you're talking about this shift that we've noticed against Purdue, against FAU, where these guys are starting to go off against us, against Stanford, Washington State. 
we're starting to have all these teams have players go off against us that normally don't go off against anybody. You know, the guys for Purdue, they said, you know, we expected one of them to do that, but not two guys. Not both. Yeah, not both. Yeah. Um, you know, FAU, you know, their their guy just went berserk, and he hasn't done that to any team since. But he scores 32 against us. Okay, fine. You know, Tommy Lloyd admitted that we need to play better on the perimeter. We need to run. We need to get fight through screens. We need to, you know, try. <laughs> we need to have way more effort. But he also admitted that Arizona made a conscious decision because UCLA is so bad at three-point shooting to kind of pack it in the paint. And I get that, but how many sample what's the sample size on, you know, when you're going to change your strategy? Is it after eight three-pointers? you know, seven, <laughs> you know, at some point you got to say, okay, that, that plan's not going to work because UCLA is shooting well today and we're not fighting through our screens like we're supposed to. So at some point you got to make those adjustments. And I do think Tommy Lloyd's a great coach, but uh, they, they need to figure out the defense. And, and if they can, like I said, I think the offense is going to be fine. And I think Arizona can get back to doing what they did early on in the season. Like you said, those first eight games were amazing. You know, Arizona looked like a championship caliber team. But then you you start seeing these Washington States and Stanford's and a, a bad UCLA team, you know, hanging with Arizona, leading most of the game, if you will. And uh, yeah, and the, yeah, go ahead. And if you if you have any question about you know the expectation is like again, you have to place weight into it. You look at uh, Ken Palm has in the past done a pretty a crazy job at showing the predictions of what was expected based on a, the dynamic nature of a team's performance as to how they might do and uh, predict how they might do in future games. And uh, Arizona was pretty much predicted uh, to have a pretty respectable wins through the Pac-12. But now we've got an upcoming schedule where we know based on what we've seen in this early part of the season, that we're going to really see whether or not we've learned anything based on what's coming up here pretty soon. So how do you think How do you think that's going to go, Ricky? If Arizona can defend, it, they have chances. You know, any team is beatable this year. Like you said, the Pac-12 is, is having a down year. Right now, today is January 22nd, and the new polls just came out today. Arizona is ranked number nine in the country. How many other Pac-12 teams are on the top 25 list, Ed? There are none. <laughs> A big fat zero. There's nobody else. It's just Arizona. None. So the, clearly the conference is the done. Pac- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. The base Pac-12 is effectively destroyed. Uh, the, t- each of the teams that struggled to rise, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, has suddenly had something happen between players being injured to just playing badly, has knocked themselves out of contention. And now there's a question of how many teams can even make it into the tournament from the Pac-12 outside of Arizona. Yeah. So this is the tournament. This is the conference we're in. And then the question becomes, well... If this is going to be your resume, we've already finished our non-conference play. We put together a pretty powerful resume there, a very good resume there. What are you going to show if you're in a weaker, what's considered a weaker conference? What's the rest of your resume going to look like for the rest of the season before we go into the uh, tournament? And so to answer your question, we've got road games against the Oregon schools. We've got road games against Colorado and Utah when they're fully healthy. And we've got road games against UCLA and USC still on the schedule. It's not going to be That's, easy. I mean, those it's are not going to be easy. Those are rough road trips. You know, you and I have talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast that we know 
how tough the LA trip is. And that's typically one that we've focused on, but that mountain trip with Colorado and Utah, that is going to be the hardest trip, I think. Uh, and you know, if Arizona is playing like they are now, they're going to get blown out in all of those games and they're going to be exposed for, for what they are. So they have a chance here, a real opportunity to get back on track to play like they did the first eight games and show the nation, yeah, we we struggled during December and, and January. You know, we we were tired, we had some rough games, and we got in a little funk, but we're still Arizona and we're here to stay. And so they they've got this chance, you know. And I've I've said this before: Arizona always squanders when they have a chance, right? On that one day where everybody in the top ten was losing, I said, okay, Arizona's got a chance here to do something special. And then they lose to Washington State. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's amazing. And so the, now to go, it's kind of going back to loop back to the timeline we were talking about. So if you go back to that point where Arizona wins the Valero Alamo Bowl, we were at the top of the world at that point. So at that time, as we were as football had come to a head, we had our first ten win season forever. We're going to be ranked in the top fifteen end of year, which is just unimaginable a short while ago. And then basketball seems to, you know, where people are talking about us as a national champion. We've, I can't even remember how long it's been since basketball and football together were just the best. That we were both, you and I were pointing out, I think at times that only one school in the nation had a basketball and football team ranked in the top 15. Right. And so that, what an amazing time. Then we come to now where, the, it seemed like just up to that point in that UCLA game before everybody officially knew that T-Mac and Noah were returning, that there was uncertainty in the football program. The coach, what the whole timeline we described had just happened. Everything was falling apart. It seemed like there was a chance the whole football program could implode. Then Washington State and Stanford happens in basketball, and suddenly you know, we're, we're still aching a little bit from the Purdue FAU losses and stuff, but we recognize those are ranked teams. That's, that's okay. Right. And one was in, uh, in, you know, in overtime and everything. It's, that's fine. But then the, then Stanford blows us out. Doesn't just beat us, but literally blows us out. Washington state happens. And suddenly the firm ground we were standing on at the Alamo bowl seems a lot shakier. It was, that was such a crazy time and everything. And I, 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 you know, this is a chance for Ricky and I to kind of share you as, as this turmoil and this, the, this crazy accelerated timeline of change in Arizona athletics has occurred. We're kind of sharing you our, the angst and the how it felt for us, the stomach churning, the, you know, the pins and needles, all of that. We want you to understand that we too, as Arizona fans, were watching what, the turmoil unfold and hoping that, you know, with hope, hope reigning supreme, that this would all turn out okay. And so as we sit today... And I guess we could continue telling this story now with the with both with the UCLA game and also what came after. Yes, so Arizona storms back and beats UCLA after being down 19, and so they win 77 to 71. On that same day, the 20th, Dwayne Aquina is semi announced as Arizona's defensive coordinator. Dwayne Aquina left Arizona to go uh, with uh, Johnny Nansen, who's the co defensive coordinator at Texas. He left to go be with Steve Sarkeesian, and he was going to work at Texas. But as soon as Brent Brennan is hired, Dwayne Aquino says, okay, I'll come back. Although technically he never left. He's still in Tucson, uh, but he was committed to going to Texas. And so he said, okay, I'm going to come back. And so now he is Arizona's defensive coordinator, and that was on the 20th. 
also on the 20th, we have revealed to us that Arizona's biggest donor, Humberto Lopez, sends quite a text message to Jetfish. And I have that text message here. A blistering here. one. Yes. A blistering one. I have that text message friendship. here, and it says, you could have been a legend here at Arizona had you stayed. I went out of my way to make sure you didn't get our best players. I don't ever wish anyone bad luck, and you were the first one. You disappointed me. I thought we were friends. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Coming from you know Arizona's biggest donor and a guy who is somebody in this town. Uh, that That hurts. So to give a little quick backstory, because we are running long, but that's okay. That's what this is for. This is There's a lot to dig through here. So th- this is from Humberto Lopez. He said, he told me how much he wanted to stay. So I said, if you stayed to shake my hand and look me in the eye, I can get you what you're looking for. And he said, yes, Lopez said, referring to a conversation he had with Fish. However, the over $7 million a year offer from the University of Washington was something Fish jumped on. And it's safe to say Fish's decision didn't please Lopez. I'm very disappointed with Jed Fish. I thought he was a friend. I thought he was a man of his word. We shook hands, Lopez said. With Brennan officially at the helm of the Wildcat football team, Lopez is focusing on keeping some of the players Fish may be trying to take with him to the University of Washington. Right now, Fish is desperate. This is from Humberto Lopez. Right now, Fish is desperate to get some of the players back. We're trying very hard to keep them. Fish is throwing all types of money at them, Lopez said. So already there's this kind of war going on, this battle. Now, obviously, we know the result because Team Akinoa are staying and a lot of the players are returning. They've already announced that they're returning. They're taking their names out of the portal. You know, they're behind Arizona football, Brent Brennan, and everything we're doing there. But man, it's nice to see somebody like Humberto Lopez stick up for our guys and say, you're not getting our guys. We're going to give them whatever they need to stay here. We're going to continue the family here. Good luck. The amazing thing about this, though, is that, you know, we're already given credit to Brent Brennan. Okay. He did a lot for retainment. He did his part. That That's, uh, he, he went, full, he took it on as a full time, a double time job to work on player retainment. The thing is, it just seems like, I don't know what I, I would be, I would have liked to have heard more of the story of the university of Arizona and others trying to help. But it's interesting that a alumna, a donor is, and you know, one of these guys is the ones who's making this happen. So it, just an interesting context to the whole thing. It was just made for fantastic, a fantastic soap opera, opera around the Arizona program. I'm ready for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, think it, I think with the duration here, it has to be a, t- a TV miniseries. Right, right. No kidding. No kidding. So that all happened on the 20th. And then the 21st, more players continue to commit to Arizona. On the 21st, unfortunately, Jonah Coleman does officially commit to the University of Washington. On the 22nd, we receive more commitments to Arizona. So players are, are coming back. A lot of the defensive side are starting to come back. And so that's nice to see. And then something weird happens late this afternoon, and this is the 22nd today. Dave Hickey is let go as Arizona's athletic director. Also on that just Sunday, when you thought it was all yeah, you, just ahead. when you thought that the roller coaster ride was pretty much over, what, did we get a little bit of a bombshell today? Yeah, so we're sitting here going, okay, we lost Jed Fish. We're not sure about our players. Okay, we've got two home games with USC and UCLA. 
Okay, we won both those. Great. So we're starting to feel a little bit better. Oh, we get this amazing information that Noah Fafita and T-Mac are staying. And now all these players are starting to recommit to Arizona again. Awesome. The world's starting to write itself. Now yeah. we're like, the okay, here we go. Better. Here we go. We're picking up steam. We're picking up momentum. And then finally today, late afternoon, it's announced that Dave Hickey is no longer the athletic director at Arizona. Technically, it's effective February 2nd. And then the Arizona Board of you Regents mean, calls a meeting, an emergency meeting for this Thursday. Do you mean that I'm going to stop getting those messages from Dave Hickey in my inbox? Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. At this point, I I, I liked Dave. Um, you know, Dave's hire of Kevin Sumlin, and I think that was a combination between him and Dr. Robbins. That was not a good hire. And Jed no. Fish technically probably was Dr. Robbins' hire. But I think Tommy Lloyd was definitely Dave Hickey's hire. And Brent Brennan, I think, was an all-star hire. I, I think we, time will tell, obviously, but as far as just doing damage control and, and retainment of players and, and just talking about the culture and the way he's going to care and love for the players and get them to where they need to be. I mean, a lot of coaches say a lot of stuff. They talk. It's all talk. Yeah. You know, but this guy, it feels different because he has those Arizona ties and he knows what it means to be, you know, at Arizona as a Wildcat. Yeah. And the thing about the thing about Dave Hickey too is that I my my initial response was there's a story here that we're not hearing. And I've uh, you and I had a discussion about some of the rumors that are going on about why his firing was so critical. And I think there's a big story here. There's a lot more to come and w there's a lot of speculation and sources are revealing certain information about what may have led to this. But uh, we won't go into too much depth speculating or talking about what those rumors are saying, but suffice it to say this soap opera gets just more and more <laughs> like a mini series that we were talking about as, as details start to come out. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly something that we don't know that we will probably find out soon enough. I, th I think all the answers, everything will be revealed. Uh, there is an audit being done. The, the reasoning for, uh, Dave Hickey being let go. Uh, Brett McMurphy put out a tweet, and his tweet says, Arizona Athletic Director Dave Hickey was fired for financial and operational mismanagement, resulting in an athletic department financial disaster, loss of major donors, and mishandling of former coach Jed Fish's contract. So that that's quite a bit to to pin on Dave, especially especially before Brent Brennan gets hired. Like if, if they had done it yeah, before I, that, but they let him make the hire and then they fired him. Yeah, I, I don't know. So there's several things that came to my mind when I think of when I read that, and one of them was, uh, how do you quantify some of those things when you say mismanagement of Jed Fish's contract and stuff? I'm just wondering how did how does one put data down to describe what exactly happened there? So, like I said, there's a lot of room here to wait to see what the facts are as they as the audit comes out, as these things come out. In addition, as a for those of you who aren't familiar with this, is that the University of Arizona has had some. Uh, uh, Dr. Robbins has been in some amazing turmoil lately dealing with finances at the University of Arizona in general through a lot of accounting issues and so forth at the, at the U of A in general, not just with the athletic program. So all of these things in combination happening at this time really had the potential to, to set off a, a perfect storm of events that could have caused major issues for the university even outside of athletics. Right. 
And I mean, it's only 240 million, right? Yeah, I, I think I got some of that laying around here. Yeah, can can you cut a check or Humberto <laughs> Lopez could? I'll pay. I'll, I'll pay it a penny at a time. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it's amazing, and and of course Arizona fans, especially on on X Twitter, we're receiving the brunt of it from all the other fan bases. Like, oh well, you guys are in a two hundred forty million dollar financial crisis, and and that's all that gets brought up. I mean, this is like the seventy to seven with ASU. You know, we talk anything to ASU, and they say seventy to seven. It's like, you know, hey, I saw one of your fans, you know, running down the street the other day. They're like, oh yeah, seventy to seven. It's like, what? <laughs> Yeah, you know, and so that's that's kind of the retort now for anything Arizona says. It's like, well, you guys have a two hundred forty million dollar financial crisis. It's like, okay, fine, thanks. We we knew that already, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And I, I don't know that Robbins survives this. Um, you know, I, I don't think he's doing Dave any favors before anything else hits the fan. I think he's trying to prove that he took care of the situation and that he is making changes within the athletic department and that he can do his job. But to me, it feels like the audit's going to come out and it's going to be a little too little too late. I, I, I agree. And so, like I said, I don't, th- I, I think that this story is still ongoing and we're going to find out a lot of facts and uh, the, uh, the bombs aren't done dropping just yet. Um, and so we, we've got, that's, this story is going to be ongoing, but uh, what a, what a day to record with the, I'm I'm so glad we waited to today just to be able to even speak to this one, but it shows us there's a lot more going on and that the story still has quite a bit to unfold. And in the, in the context of that, now as we're going to start to find out how the football program is going to look, we've got some challenging games coming up here with Arizona basketball. As Ricky mentioned earlier, this is going to be the week we hit the road in Oregon, in Oregon state. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we've had our struggles in the past, with particularly with Oregon on the road. And for a while there, Oregon was looking like they were going to be the one stone, the Pac-12, going undefeated for a while. But uh, that's uh, slipped a little bit since then. But without a doubt, this is going to be a challenging road trip coming up for the basketball team. It's a road trip. Yep. It's We're still got a bit of that funk going on. Kylan hasn't figured it out yet. Um, what, are your th- what do you see coming in the coming week? I see Arizona beating Oregon State, and then we we just I don't remember the last time we played really really well at Oregon. Um, that's always a tough tough game, and with and Folly Dante back, Oregon is playing really well. I know they've they've lost a couple, so now at the top of the Pac-12, it's a three way tie between Arizona, Oregon, and ASU. So go Arizona schools, yep. I guess. So. <laughs> and he he didn't miss he didn't misread that, <laughs> yeah ASU. Yeah, I know. It, I I was choking a little bit as I said it. Uh, so I I'm confident that Tommy Lloyd is a good coach and that he will have the guys ready. I think the UCLA game, if any of these games, I mean, you can't tell me that Washington State and Stanford weren't eye opening. I think UCLA, as bad as they are, I feel like that's the game that really is going to help Tommy go, okay, this is where we need to make changes. Because I think Tommy made that conscious effort to pack it in, and he admitted that that was their decision. So I think he really got a taste against UCLA of, oh, I made this decision, and it really didn't work. It really put us in a hole. So I'm hopeful that they'll work on that. They'll figure out some defensive schemes. They'll they'll 
you know, practice with the fellows and, you know, basically it comes down to effort. If these guys fly out to Oregon and they can, they can play with effort, you know, we're okay with them losing a road game at Oregon. It is what it is. As long as they try, as long as there's effort, we're good. But the second Arizona stops playing defense and they're walking around and they're letting guys like, you know, Bona, who's 30 feet from the basket, get his own rebound, (laughs) you know, as he's walking, it's like, come on, guys, that can't happen. We got to have effort. We got to be trying. You know, if we can do that, give ourselves a chance, win or lose, that's all that we ask for. And so I, I think Arizona has a shot. I mean, We've talked about this all the time on this podcast, how talented this team is. They have the guys to win these games. It's not like, you know, Oregon is well overmatched or or Arizona's overmatched playing at Oregon. You know, Arizona has the squad to do this. They've just got to all show they up. Do. And they do. They do. And and it's it it let's face it is but, but as bad as I felt about the UCLA game, UCLA did play the game of their life and Arizona still managed to win. Uh, and if you thought Stanford was a fluke, I want you to be aware that when uh, Stanford played Washington, I think it was last night, Spencer Jones goes 8 from 12 from 3-point. Yep. 8 from 12 from 3-point. I want you to just think about that. He goes for 30 points against Washington, and he shoots 8 from 12 from 3-point land. So that so the Stanford game wasn't a fluke necessarily for them. It can, it can happen again, and we'll probably see it in the Pac-12 tournament. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that Arizona will, will figure this out. Um, you know, you mentioned that you know UCLA had the, their greatest game against us. That's what I want to solve. I want to stop letting teams have their greatest games against us. I want us to impose our will on them. We've been allowing teams to impose their will on us, and we say, okay, we'll play your style, and then we lose games like that, Washington State, it. Stanford, UCLA. You know, I want to say, no, this is how we're going to play. We're going to play up-tempo. We're going to play great defense. We're going to lock you guys down. We're going to grab the rebound, and we're going to go and have them say, oh, I don't know how to guard that. My thinking for this week is that, look, we're playing Oregon. Uh, I want to see Oregon and Oregon State, and it sounds like a crazy thing, but I'm asking for a sweep. Why am I saying that? Look, if you want to show that you've gotten someplace, Oregon's not the toughest team you're going to face by end of season on the road. The everything you do that matters at the end of the season is going to be away from your home court. Yep. Okay. You've got to be able to play against teams on their uh, uh, in the rough, roughest environments. And sure, there's an amplifier when you're when you're playing a team on their home court. But this is the time to start stepping up in, in these games. And if you think that Oregon's going to be tough, just just think of what we just described. What comes after that? Yeah. Right. You it's, get uh, you get Cal Stanford, which at, is it at home, which should be a good. We should hopefully have a good revenge game, but then the the mountain road trip comes. Yep. Yeah. So there aren't many home games left. There's a couple. We've got the the Cal Stanford. We've got ASU at home. Do we play Oregon schools at home? I'd have to look at the schedule, but uh, we 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 get Oregon at home. Okay. So there aren't many home games left. So we're going to be on the road quite a bit. All right. And so it's up to Arizona to to continue their mentality of, you know, us against the world, you know, and and bond together and decide, make that that conscious decision to play defense and to oppose their will on the other team and say, "Hey, we're going to play our style and you can't do anything about it." 
And like you said, if, if we can get that road sweep, it's, to me it's all about confidence, right? The, these guys have have looked like they're lacking confidence. You look at maybe not Caleb Love. He oozes confidence regardless. You know, if he's one for 30, he's still going to keep shooting threes. <laughs> but if you look at Kylan Boswell, Pell Larson has improved quite a bit over the last couple of games, so I'm not necessarily going to pick on him. Umar Balo, uh, even Keyshot. You know, this is a good opportunity for these guys to go into the Oregon schools and win, not necessarily win big, but win and regain that confidence and then come home and maybe beat up on a, a Cal in Stanford. And then now you're on this kind of four-game streak here where you've built up confidence, you've played well, and now you're in a right frame of mind to go on the road trip to the L.A. schools or to the mountain trip. I think so, and that that'll also be a chance for some of our second, the second, uh, t- uh, the second team to get on too, and some of the bench players to get some of the uh, experience on the road playing in the in the, in the final Pac-12 season. Yep. Because now, versus the picture we had early on, as many people did, that the Pac-12 was going to be a cakewalk. Now we can see it that it's going to be in conference play is going to be challenging, and the Pac-12 tournament. It is now a lot more questionable as to who's going to win that one. It seems much freer and opener than it did at the begin uh, at earlier in the season. Which, so there's some exciting times ahead of us. I was going to say, which I guess is good for fans, even though we love it when Arizona is the huge favorite. Um, you know, this is going to be a Pac-12 tournament for the ages, and yes, Ed and I will be there. Uh, but it's going to be great. It's going to be fun to to watch these teams because it's now. I feel like they're more on an even playing field than one or two teams overly dominant, dominant, excuse me. Um, and I, I think it makes it more fun for fans to to have that, you know, closeness where, you know, maybe Arizona doesn't blow out a Stanford or a Cal or whatever it may be. And so that makes for and, a very and, interesting tournament. And I'm going to reveal something and be honest with all your fans and with you, Ricky, too. It's a lot of the times when Arizona's playing a team that they're expected to blow out, um, I don't get up for that game as much. I'm excited to watch Arizona game, and I'll watch Arizona play uh, even if they're playing. Uh, it doesn't matter who they're playing. Um, but I just don't get up for those games as much because I'm like, oh, we're, we're going to just blow them out by 40, and at some point maybe we'll get a good dunk show here. But lately now, every game seems like, oh, man, got to watch this. It could be <laughs> This one could be a challenge. My uh, my two favorite it's, games so it's far. Exciting. Yeah, my two favorite games so far this year were Arizona at Duke and Arizona, quote unquote, at Purdue. Even though we lost the Purdue game, I felt like it was. It, we knew it was going to be a challenge. We we weren't you know going to blow any of those teams out. You know, playing Duke at Cameron Indoor, we knew it was going to be a challenge, and we rose to the occasion and we fought hard and won that game. And then going to Indianapolis and playing Purdue basically in their backyard. You know, we knew it was going to be a challenge, and so I love and those games was, like you. And that was that was a powerful. I mean, you want to talk about yeah, that had that was probably even more amplified than a home game because of the size of the uh, venue and the fact that it was sold out and mostly Purdue fans. Right, and it all channeled down onto the court. The fact that Arizona put up a good fight in that one and stuff that's something to be proud of. I didn't feel particularly bad about the one when it was over just as uh, even though we lost I, I felt like man we put up a good fight the fact that we came back and so you're right those were good games yeah you feel worse about the washington stanford games because you're saying well we didn't even try and then no, against Sta- purdue you're saying stanford Great. was just yeah stanford was just hurt i mean I, i've said this before i've said this for years even before tommy lloyd was there i said great teams don't get blown out yep i said they get beat yes they lose but they don't get blown out. 
And that was that one was a hard pill to swallow because I said, we're a great team. Well, and, and great teams don't get blown out by bad teams. <laughs> yeah. You just you, you, getting blown out is just not wasn't in my in the cards of what I could imagine from this team based on the beginning. So that was a hard that was a very difficult pill to swallow. So like I feel like um, I could have taken we lost per- by two. Yep. I feel like I could have taken Purdue beating us by 18 more more better or better than uh, Stanford beating us by 18. You know, Purdue's yeah. Purdue, right? Stanford's like, "Really? They beat us by 18?" <laughs> That's it's it's still it still blows my mind that that that's the case too. Particularly again, as we try to unravel the mystery of why our Ken Palm defense is ranked so high. Yeah, <laughs> riddle me that. I, I mean, Arizona's offense and defense are ranked really high on Ken Palm. Yet on the court, it's one of those f- things where you say, "Well, they're good on paper." Yeah, they are. Yeah, they're great ex- on paper. Exactly. <laughs> but um, exactly and. I wanted to touch base real quick uh, going back to the UCLA game because I think we we would be upset with ourselves if we didn't talk about the game that Pella Larson had where he had 22 points. I mean, he's turning out to be quite the leader on this team. And I know he's one of your favorites. He's also one of mine. But I know you like to have us sh- shout him out when we can. And, and we got to do it because he had 22 points on 6 of 12 shooting. And he was 8 for 8 from the free throw line. And so props to him. Uh, and then the other guy I think we have to shout out, maybe he wasn't great on on the offensive side, but Umar Balo actually played some solid defense on Bona, and he went, was it seven for eight from the free throw line? So Yeah, and he... He actually had he had a he had a pretty decent game uh, in in the end on that one too. So he ends up ha- he ends up doing quite well. So that's uh, Balo started to show some signs there. He ends up getting 17 points, which sounds like somebody again. He did he in playing good defense. He had reason why he ends up with four fouls in that in that one. But yeah, he uh, goes five from eight uh, from from the field and. That looks pretty good. And now the thing that I find hardest to believe and everybody, yes, I'm not making a mistake here. He went seven from eight from the free throw line. No, that is not an error. <laughs> did uh, he, I'm not sure if I dreamt amazing. this or, or whatnot, but did you hear the announcer say that he changed his form like right before the UCLA game? Yeah. Yeah. They said that he was working on his form and, and instead of like a chuck, they're trying to put maybe a little bit more arc on it or something. And they said they drastically changed his form and it looked like it. I mean, it looked like his free throws were swishing. <laughs> Which Umar yeah, doesn't do. I, like I said, he pushes them. Yep. <laughs> he yeah. pushes them towards the basket. And so that was a great thing. I I do have to mention, I I, I won't feel great if I don't mention uh, a couple of things too. So one of the things was that uh, Ben Matherin was at the game yep. to be inducted into the Ring of Honor during the uh, UCLA game. So he was inducted into the Ring of Honor at that time and he was there to celebrate. Uh, so... Uh, I wanted to mention that. And the other thing I did want to mention that that brought up because kind of related is that another player that's going to be inducted into the ring of honor is Christian Coloco. And if you had, didn't know this too, it was you know, announced a while back and stuff. Christian Coloco hasn't been playing pro ball for a while now. And he's been put on, put, he's taking time away from the team right now. Cause he has a, a serious health issue, a, a blood clot, blood clot yeah. that may end his career. Yeah. And so uh, I wanted to just quickly announce as uh, as Ben is celebrating his induction in the Ring of Honor during the UCLA game that Christian Coloco is undergoing what could be a dramatic life change and so forth, and that our best wishes are with him. Um, great player, great person, 
uh, we wish nothing but the best for him. Yeah, definitely prayers for Christian Coloco and hopefully he, he gets better and, and he can continue to play in the NBA and, and play for the Raptors. Um, also, TJ McConnell was was there with Ben Matherin and he, he too was will be inducted uh, into the Ring of Honor very soon here. Um, and what's also neat is the entire Pacers team. So the Pacers were playing in Phoenix the day after. Uh, on Sunday. And so they all decided to come down with Ben Matherin and support him as he was inducted into the ring of honor. So the entire Pacers squad uh, was there and that was really neat. That's cool to see your, your NBA teammates support you like that and have them all there with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was, uh, that, that was just mind blowing. That was great. I, I was going to ask you or actually early in the, this cast, if you got goosebumps when you saw TJ there, Oh man, uh, throw on a jersey. Let's go. <laughs> you know, I I, I I love Kylan. I love Caleb Love, but like we always say, put TJ on this team. You know, there ain't going to be anybody slacking on defense. You know, he's going to share the rock. I, I mean, he would be he, a perfect fit with Tommy Lloyd. And, and by the way, folks, if if that didn't win you bingo, TJ McConnell's one of those bingo blocks. Is <laughs> <laughs> the the Red Army of the West. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm not going to go Bill Wong right. on you. <laughs> so, all right, Ed, I'm exhausted. We've had our football coach leave us. We've hired a new football coach. We've had players leave. We've had players decide they're not leaving. They're staying. We've had Noah Fafita and T-Mac announce they're staying. We had Arizona basketball, two games, UCLA and USC, one where it was kind of boring, the other one where we were down 19 points and we came back. We've hired that new football coach. We've got new coordinators coming in. We've got staff from you know San Jose State coming over with him. We've got our AD who has just let go, and that becomes official on February 2nd. We've got our president who may be in hot water with the financials. We've got so much going on. The Arizona roller coaster continues, the ups and the downs. Uh, we're hoping for more ups, but overall, <laughs> overall, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling exhausted, and I'll just say this, folks: we're gonna we're gonna not wait this long for the next tele for the next podcast because we have there because this story is unfolding so fast, and of course we've got two games on the road here this week, so you'll be hearing from us soon. If you've managed to make it this long through, uh, you know, this far through this cast, a thank you. B, you must be exhausted, and C. Hang on for the next one because the story continues. You get a bias sticker. We're going to make some bias stickers, and we'll we'll give you one for making it an hour and a half in. <laughs> so. And if you end up as athletic director, we'll tattoo it on you. <laughs> right there. Yep, right on your leg. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Ed. Well, anything else before we head out? No, I think uh, I think that was enough. I think, and that was enough for everybody. That's a lot to digest, but it was a super super busy week here so yeah and it's it's nice for us to to be able to get this stuff off our chest because we're going through the emotions just like the players are and the families and and everybody involved you know the fans are are just as much involved they're just as much you know as passionate about the game as as the players are and and they care about the players we all care about the players so uh, you know we feel like these are our brothers or our kids that are you know, that, that these are, ha- these things are happening too. So, you know, we feel it too. And so it, it's been an emotional roller coaster for, for the fan base as well. So getting on here and, and talking with you and being able to just kind of let it all out is, is really nice. And it's a good way for us to just, you know, 
talk it over and then we get to move on to, to what's up next. So, and fortunately we, we have a football coach and we've got some, some, you know, good things going for us going into the big 12, you know, Arizona should be favored uh, with, with the staff they have for the, the or the team they have uh, in football. So uh, there are good things on the horizon. So hang in there. You know, it's, it's not always easy, but that's why we bear down, right? Absolutely. And hang on, folks. There's going to be optimistic and happy podcasts to follow because I have a really bright view of the future. So bear down and uh, stay tuned. A lot more exciting things are bound to come down. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, especially to this one hour and a half podcast. Again, this is Biased, an Arizona basketball podcast. I am your host, Ricky Garrett, here with Ed Bardo and tired but happy. Let's Let's bear down and look forward to the future. Bear down, go cats, hashtag families stay. Quickly down, Visar trailing, will take it off to Love. Love drives into the lane, lob it for Visar who puts it in. Off to Anderson, back to Love. Love down right of the lane, rolls it in, counted, and he's fouled. Off to Boswell, out to the top of the key, fires a three, and that is good from Kylan Boswell. Caleb will throw it to a running Johnson, and key shot over the head, jammed with two hands. And Borovic in the rebound for the Wildcats, Ed Martinez. Bounce pass to Lewis, what a pass.